Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the PG Show, where we talk about all things college football. Today, we got to kind of recap what happened in Week 11 with, again, just another stellar week of college football. Games across the board. The Pac-12 is doing Pac-12 things, and I am joined today by Drew England. How are you doing? Tell the people where they can find you. Oh, hey, what's up? Always uh, always good to get on here. Uh, Drew England. Uh at uh, Coach underscore England one on Twitter, uh, I am the host of the Underfisher Review podcast. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, our YouTube channel, all that stuff. You can catch us. We do one or two uh, episodes a week, a recap, preview type of uh, type of show like PG does. And uh, always love talking college football. I'm a huge OU fan, but uh, we talk uh, college football across the country, um, every game, just about all the big games, all that stuff. So. Uh, we have a good time doing it, but uh, once again, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. No, yeah, it's always great to have you guys on. And uh, Jay from Unfair Sports will be joining us here in a little bit when we get to talk about OU. But there is one game that we need to start out with, probably one of the biggest games of the week, and that is TCU versus Texas. So TCU comes out of this one victorious, seventeen to ten, and a. Full-on defensive battle, and this is a game that you and I and, or, well, this is a point that you and I and Ty talked about a couple weeks ago, which was we saw the Big 12 about 10 years ago really start to make the transition in college football towards this offensive game, mm-hmm. right? And everybody thought the defense in the Big 12 sucks. The, the defense is no good. What have we seen over the past couple of years? More games like what we're starting to see now, where the Big 12 is starting to play better defense, but also when they go out of conference, they can light anybody up, which both Texas and TCU are able to do. They're able to play with the best of the best. And so when we watch this game, when we see Texas get their only touchdown from the defensive side of the ball, and you see a 17-10 to game, this is not what a typical Big 12 fan would Mm-mm. remember seeing from any of these games. Quinn Ewers looked not very good again. You know, he I think uh, he went 17 of 39, 171 yards, didn't throw for a touchdown, but did throw an interception. And yep. the TCU defense was able to hold Bijan Robinson to 29 yards in this game. Yep. So 2.4 yards was per carry. 2.4 yeah, yards per carry. Uh, his biggest rush of the night was uh, nine yards. Uh, we talked about it on our show today. If you guys want to go look and and, and back of that, me and Zach uh, did a recap on on a lot of these games. But yeah, man, that was the biggest, uh, almost not really shocker, but uh, I thought you know coming into this game when we previewed it last week, you know I thought Bijan Robinson would be able to to get it done on the ground and 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 the Horn Frogs defense, man, they just they held Texas to 199 yards of total offense, man, and that was. Uh, Man, that was the telltale. No points scored in the first half, uh, other than TCU's field goal. I think it was like three to nothing uh, at halftime. And then, uh, like you said, it it actually was a two touchdown game there late in the fourth quarter. And then the uh, the fumbled snap there led to a uh, Texas uh, defensive touchdown. But I mean, TCU pretty much had this game um, in the second half. Obviously, they had the field goal, but yeah, they they pretty much owned the line of scrimmage and and. Uh, created havoc for uh, for Texas's offense and on the flip side uh, Texas's defense held TCU and that high scoring offense uh, down so you got to give give credit to uh, Longhorns defense too for sure yeah and I think we got to talk about this acquisition for TCU which I think has been a pretty well underrated acquisition for TCU which at the beginning of the season they get Sonny Dykes is their head coach. And I think a lot of us looked at it and didn't expect TCU to be – I mean, I definitely didn't expect them to be 10-0 and at this point. No. But they were able to go out there and get Chad Glasgow as their defensive coordinator, which, listen, he's ran some pretty decent defenses in the past. And I necessarily wasn't a believer in TCU having as great of a defense as they've had up to this point. But, listen – only allowing 377 yards a game, TCU might be able to go compete in the playoffs. Am I crazy for thinking that? Yep. You are loco. Uh, We talked about it on our show today. Um, 
right now they're a legit contender, obviously, because they're undefeated. But man, I just I don't I don't know how they would stack up against some of the bigger teams. And we certainly I've certainly been wrong before. You know, I, I'm not I'm not perfect, but right now I just I don't know. Um, only being able to score 17 points against Texas, I know Texas is pretty decent, but you know if you if you're struggling to score 17 points against Texas, you're going to struggle to score points against Georgia, Ohio State. Uh, some of those type of teams. So, I mean, you know, we'll see. But but right now, I just I don't know if they quite have the firepower um, to uh, to to stand up to the to the big boys yet. But but you never know. You never know. That's why they play the game. So, yeah, they could definitely go out there and surprise everybody. But listen, is Max Duggan just that dude? Like. When I go and I watch TCU and I watch Max Duggan go out there and I watch him play and being able to get the ball to Quentin Johnston, is it more Quentin Johnston just being able to get out in open space and being able to make those tough like catches? Or is it Max Duggan being able to make the tough passes and being that tenured senior leader or just maybe a little bit of both? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both, man. I, I just uh, And we were – I mean, obviously there was question marks of – of if if Quentin Johnston was gonna was gonna be able to even play in the game, um, you know we were talking about it the uh, the other day. But uh, also having the ground game that uh, you know that Miller he ripped off about 140 yards for TCU and that helps out a lot when your run game can get going like that and it, it creates uh, creates one on one opportunities and, and and things in the passing game for an already uh, really good receiver. He only had three three receptions but 66 yards and. You know, averaging almost 22 a catch and then a big touchdown there, a 31-yard touchdown for him. But, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. I think Max Duggan is just a gritty dude that, uh, you know, a lot of people are just sweeping under the rug and saying, oh, well, we've seen him do this and do that. But it doesn't mean you can't change and doesn't mean you can't, uh, you know, better yourself. And I think he's just – he's gotten better this year. He's kind of owned, uh, you know, his role. And, uh, yeah, he has him 10-0, and 0, so it's hard to argue against – what 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 Max has been able to do this year? Okay, so let's kind of pivot a little bit. Still talking about the TCU Texas game, but kind of pivot more into the Texas side of things. So this was a huge recruiting weekend for them. They had five stars up and down the board across Deuce Robinson. There, you had Anthony Hill. I mean, they had four star galore with you know wide receiver DeAndre Moore, who's currently committed to Louisville, who you're hearing potentially is a silent commit, right? Marcus Deal, Jelani McDonald, Justin Benton, Jaden Greathouse. And we look at this massive recruiting weekend in Texas potentially not being able to put it together. Going six and four, four and three in the conference, definitely doing better than Oklahoma is this year, but we'll get to that one here in a little bit. I look at the rest of the schedule for the Texas Longhorns, and I'm really thinking here that Texas is potentially in trouble. Because you get held to 10 points and no offensive touchdowns by TCU. And you have to go play at Kansas, at Lawrence, Kansas, where we know the Kansas Jayhawks, they're going to show up. They're going to be loud and rowdy, ready to show up. This is a this is also a team that Texas has historically struggled with. Then yeah, you have to end your better. season. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and we expect Jalen Daniels to be playing in that game. And then you yep. have to end the season with Baylor. And we know Dave Aranda can definitely be able to stop Steve Sarkeesian in this offense. And after what we've seen from Quinn Ewers, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if Texas can go out there and win their next two games. And that's saying a lot because Texas was starting to maybe look good, maybe look like they were kind of getting it together. And their yeah. second-half woes have completely killed them. What's your thoughts on just where Texas is going to go for the rest of the season? I mean, it's, it's hard to uh... – it's hard to really tell because uh, that was one of the reasons why I was a little reluctant to uh, to pick them and why I picked TCU to win on Friday was um, their ability to just show up in big games and and to win. Yeah, um, you know, Oklahoma State game, like you saw there, close loss there. Kansas State was another big opportunity for them to uh, to show up and win. They did that, and then TCU trying to trying to you know create a pattern of winning. Um, yeah, everybody's going to talk about the close, close win to, uh, or close loss to Alabama. Um, but then you also got an overtime loss to Texas tech on the, on the schedule and some, some other things that are some head scratchers, a close win against Iowa state, 
you know, stuff like that. Um, for me, they have to create consistency and they've been able to consistently recruit really good, but consistently bad in developing that. And, you know, obviously the turnover head coaching and stuff like that. And hopefully Sark can, uh, you know, can lay, keep laying the foundation, keep doing that. But yeah, these, these, these last two games for them is, is, is no, no walk in the park for sure. And, um, you know, can they can they go two and zero? Certainly, but can they go zero and two? Yeah, um, I see more of a, a a split. To be honest, I think they. Uh, and now I'm not I'm not going to say which one they'll lose, which one they'll win, but um, I, I think they'll they'll split these last two and uh, end up, uh, you know, with with like a with like a six and six record or or you know even uh, five and five and six or or whatever five and five record, um, something like that. Listen, I'll say it with my chest. They're going to lose to Kansas next week at Kansas. Quinn Ewers doesn't play well on the road. This just seems like the perfect storm. And in a season where they thought they were going to bounce back against a team that has given them troubles, it doesn't look like you're going to be able to bounce back against Kansas. It's not that easy walkover game that a lot of people have thought they've had. Well, in the past. And that crowd is, is, is loud and proud. And they've, they've shown up uh, this year um, to, to, uh, to some big games. Obviously they played TCU really close too. So, they're going to be able to uh, take a little page out of uh, TCU and that film that, that 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 was just put out there, and they'll, uh, like you said, Jalen Daniels will be back at quarterback. Um, they'll they'll give Texas a, a run for their money for sure, like they always have the last two years, and and Texas is zero two the last two years against Kansas. So, yeah, no, they definitely will. Okay, I want to get into our next game, Alabama. And Ole Miss. So I was not going to lie. After the OU game, I disappeared for a little bit and watched Black Panther. Uh, but <laughs> I walked out a couple times because the AMC movie theater here at Quest Springs has a TV at the bar. And even though I got a cell phone, I just kind of wanted to see what was going on, grab some popcorn, some candy. And to my surprise, Alabama was down by quite a bit when I went out there. I think it was mm-hmm. uh, 17 to 7 or something at that point. I get out of the movie. Listen, Alabama's won this one, 30-24. But then I go back and I look at the replays, and Ole Miss had every opportunity to be able to go out there and win this game. Yep. If it wouldn't have been for Judkins to be gassed at the end of it, my gosh, Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin could have got the upset and put Alabama with three losses. Listen, Alabama fans at that point would have been just like OU fans are right now. Mm. They would have think the world's falling apart. Nick Saban's got to go. So we watched this game, and I've asked the question over the past couple of weeks. But I want to pose the question again, and I'm going to keep bringing it up. Even though they got the win, is the Nick Saban dynasty, as we know it, over? Because I don't see this Alabama team continuing to go out there and be the Alabama team that they have been in the past winning national championships, competing in the SEC championships year in, year out, competing in the playoffs. Am I crazy? Uh, not crazy. No, it's not. It's not a crazy question to ask. Um, will they? Will they still win ball games? Will they still be nine, ten, eleven win teams? I think so. Will that dominance of six or seven national championships and the consistency of making the college football playoff every year um, still happen? I don't know. That's I think the biggest question mark. A lot of it hinges on you know. How long is Nick Saban going to be around at Alabama? They're still going to be able to recruit. They're still going to be able to do their thing there. Um, Jace McClellan uh, is uh, emerged a little bit this this last week. He's starting to carry carry a little bit more of the load too, and that one two punch with him and uh, Gibbs, uh, Bryce Young, you know, did his thing and 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 uh, made some plays uh, on the run like he he normally does, and he's starting to settle back in as the as the Heisman Trophy uh, winner, but. Man, Bill O'Brien, I think is holding them holding them back a lot. Um, his play calling, I don't know, man. I, I just I don't get some of it. But uh, you know, that's that's one thing that uh, Alabama has experienced over the last couple of years is is assistant coaching turnover. Um, and um, so, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to say. But I, I think that they're not going to be as dominant. But they're still going to be able be be able to make some noise and. Uh, 
another team to look out for, obviously, and we'll probably talk about them here in a minute. But uh, LSU, man, and and them, you know, getting a win and getting into the SEC championship. In Brian Kelly's first year, they're another one that's going to be uh, being going to be able to recruit down there. They're in a hotbed. Um, they've got some great coaches on that staff, and uh, they're going to be able to. I think you'll start seeing them contend. I think Arkansas, they're they're still they're still building some stuff with Sam Pittman over there. Um, Ole Miss certainly is not going anywhere as long as Lane Kiffin is there. And uh, I mean, it's just the SEC West. And I think the the gap has closed. I don't think it's Alabama and everybody else in the West that that is so far apart. I think you're starting to see that gap kind of tighten a little bit, and you're starting to see three or four teams that uh that are are starting to emerge. And and starting to make a, a make a strong case for, uh, I mean, there's going to be a new SEC West, uh, you know, champion obviously because LSU has gotten that one. So I mean, will they hold it? Can they continue to do their thing? They're going to be able to recruit. So uh, you know, look out for uh, for LSU, uh, Auburn. We'll see what they uh, they can do with a new head coaching hire. That's going to be a big deal. But uh, yeah, I don't think the uh, the level of dominance uh, at what Alabama's used to is, is going to going to continue at that pace. Yeah, and this is by in no means, I want to make this point very clear, I am in by no means saying that Alabama will not go out there and win 10, 11 games a year. No, I no, am no, by no, no means saying that Alabama will no, not win. No, that's why win. I said I think the gap is, 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 yeah. is closing a little bit. They're not – it's not A and then everybody else just way underneath them. I think the, the, uh, the ladder is, is – is, is, uh, getting shorter for them and other teams are, are climbing it uh, and they're nipping at their heels a little bit. Yeah. Now, and I think a lot of this and a lot of people overlook this. I think a lot of what we're seeing with Alabama and the SEC is the SEC has a lot better coaches than what it did when Nick Saban started, which is a testament to what Nick Saban has been able to do. Because when you look up and down the board at all the coaches in the SEC, a lot of them have came from Nick Saban's tree. Yep. At least a lot of the elite coaches. Right. right. You have now Brian Kelly at LSU, which has been one of the best coaches in college football. Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. You have Shane Beamer at South Carolina, which I know people are probably going to be like, what? Listen, Shane Beamer is going to be a good coach, and he's going to be able to get good guys out there at South Carolina. Kirby Smart, you now have um, – and I can't – I'm totally blanking on the Florida guy's name right now. Oh, Billy Napier. Oh, Billy Napier. Yes. And then, of course – I mean, Jimbo Fisher has at least done stuff in the past, and he's been able to beat Nick Saban, so we can, I guess, throw him in there. But listen, the yeah. SEC definitely has elite-level coaches across the board, and this is a part of the reason why you start to see Nick Saban falter a little bit more, even in his own conference, because when you get better coaching, the recruiting gets a million times better, and it becomes a little bit harder to maybe scheme than what it was in the past in-game. So well, I think you're 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 starting to see a lot of these people, and especially these recruits, um, starting to feel like more more like, hey, um, I want to try to knock off Alabama. I want to be one of those those teams that that plays against Alabama, and and I start um, I think you're starting to see some of those guys uh, want to beat Alabama uh, sometimes more than uh, maybe they want to go to Alabama. So we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. All right, I want to talk a little bit about and, – and I didn't have this one on there, but I want, I want to talk about Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher because, we, I mean, we've talked about it multiple times throughout the year, but this has just been a complete and absolute dumpster fire. There is no better way to explain it. I know OU hot, fans want to get all up in arms. <laughs> they want to get all up in arms about what's going on here in at Oklahoma, but listen, Texas A and M fans—they're uh, in a lot worse shape than OU fans are. Yep. You heard about a potential rumbling with him and a player. Uh, I can't think of the kid's first name, but I know his last name is Muhammad. He was not able to go out there and play last game. He was benched, quote unquote, and he said it was because he was wearing arm sleeves. Jimbo said it was just because of some internal things that were going on. You hear of players getting suspended, and it was because they broke 
uh, team rules. And then you hear from things in the media saying, hey, it's because they're smoking pot or something in the locker room. Who would have ever thought Texas A&M at the beginning of the season would not be going to a bowl game? Currently sitting at, what is it, three and six? And or three and seven, and they're not looking good. It's not looking good because Auburn was one of those games that you looked at and said, okay, they fired their head coach. Auburn's a dumpster fire as well, maybe even a bigger dumpster fire. So you should be able to go out there and beat them. Nope. Auburn comes out there and beats them 13 to 10 in another defensive battle, or maybe just a poor offensive performance by both teams. And I think Texas A&M has some things that they can build on with Connor Weigman, and you've got Evan Stewart out there uh, as a receiver. You've got A-Chain. There's a lot of good things for him going on, but it doesn't seem like Jimbo is able to put it together for him. And I really have to be asking myself if the Texas A&M Aggies uh, higher-ups are even considering that $89 million buyout for Jimbo Fisher, because you just landed the number one recruiting class and you haven't been able to do anything with it because you're three and seven. And now it looks like you're at best going to be able to go four and eight because you sure as hell are not beating LSU in that final game of the season. So maybe you beat UMass. Maybe I might have to give you that one. But <laughs> I mean, what's going on with Texas A&M? What do you think they do? What direction do they go? Because $89 million is a lot of money. And you've heard people say it on Paul Feinbaum's show, but it's cheaper to hire a hitman than it is to fire Jimbo. So, uh, yeah, um, Texas A and M man is it, it? It's it's crazy. It's uh, how you pay somebody that much money to uh, to coach football and, and to not get results the way they they have is just unbeknownst to me because um, I was looking at a stat and I don't have it. I was trying to find it, but uh, at this point in their 10 years with comparing uh, Jimbo and Kevin Sumlin, Kevin Sumlin had more wins at this point in his career in the four or five years he was there than, than Jimbo Fisher. And Kevin was not making nearly the amount of money that uh, Jimbo is making. If you really stop and think about this for a second, what has Jimbo Fisher really accomplished on his own and 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 what has he really built other than an inheriting a, 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 a huge pool of talent from Bobby Bowden on that 13 national championship team at Florida State when you had, you know, Benjamin, you had, you know, a bunch of these guys, a bunch of talent, Jalen Ramsey, uh, Freeman, Jameis Winston, all these guys. I mean, PG, you probably could have won a national championship with that talent. Um, he coached under Nick Saban at LSU. Um, what has he really done on his own? Nothing. Zero. Zilch. But yet you're going to pay this man however much money, you know, a guaranteed contract to Texas A&M. Yeah, they better, better, the higher-ups better start having these conversations. And um, if they don't win their last two games or at least, you know, be somewhat competitive against uh, LSU. I think you uh, you have to start seriously considering uh, parting ways and and getting those uh, big oil money, big get that big oil money for uh, for some buyouts down there because it, it it it's been five years. Yeah, you've got a great recruiting class, but doesn't look like you're developing them much. Um, and you're supposed to be this quarterback guru. Haven't had a really good quarterback since uh, since Jameis Winston, really. So. Yeah, I, if I was if I was uh, the, the people at Texas A and M, I would I would seriously be having these conversations, and I think that that some are already starting to occur. So, yeah, and I look at it, and I look at the complete anarchy that is going on within that locker room for Jimbo Fisher, because I want to read a tweet here from you guys, and I I, I was actually able to find it pulled up. The kid's name is Moose Muhammad the Third. Mm -hmm. He's one of the receivers. He literally tweeted out last night, I want to clear the air. I was benched for wearing arm sleeves, something that my teammates and opponents wear frequently for protection. I apologize to my teammates and fans for looking forward 
and I'm looking forward to getting back on the field. If you're Jimbo Fisher, how are you – hold on. How are you benching a guy for wearing arm sleeves, one? But two, how are you letting something like this get out? I, it, it makes absolutely no sense to me. If you're a booster and you're the higher-ups that be at Texas A&M, you cannot have the complete anarchy that is happening within this program and then potentially losing a ton of these players after the season. And I looked it up. His buyout's $85.9 million. Yeah, and there's going to be – let's be honest here. There's going to be a massive uh, exodus uh, to the transfer portal uh, after this season, and that's going to be another factor for for these uh, – for the uh, the higher ups to consider at uh, at Texas A and M is yeah you're recruiting them but uh, you're not keeping them so that's another factor that's going to be against uh, Jimbo and so uh, I just I don't see how you how you can uh, how you can keep him around unless you can't afford to to buy him out unless they uh, don't have as much money as uh, as they say they do so well and we've talked about it and you've heard Jay say it specifically but you know if you go and you buy out Jimbo for $85.9 million, and then you go hire a new coach, you're probably going to have to spend at least 50 or $60 million on your new head coach because no head coach is going to come in there and take that job for any less than what Jimbo is getting paid. You've now set a precedent that you are going to pay your head coaches that much. Well, money. especially if you're going to go try to get a guy who's – I mean, there's obviously a lot, lot of coaches that are better than Jimbo Fisher, but – have a better track record than Jimbo Fisher and, and try to pull them away from, from where they're at now. Cause that's, that's, that's going to be the, uh, the situation that you're going to find yourself in is you're going to have to lure one of these guys away from a big program to come coach with the, uh, with that kind of money. And yeah, you're going to have to throw a lot of money at, at one of those coaches to even have them consider uh, leaving uh, wherever they're at, because if you're A&M, you got to go after the top dogs and, and, and settle for nothing less. Yeah, so we're talking a little bit about what A&M should do if they were to let go of Jimbo Fisher. There's a lot of college football jobs across the space that are available. One of them's Auburn. You've got Nebraska. You've got Arizona State. You've got Georgia Tech. You've got Wisconsin. Lots of great jobs out there, and there's potentially more on the horizon You've heard a lot of big names be thrown out there. You hear of Matt Rule, who was recently let go from the Panthers. Scott Frost, who was let go from Nebraska this year. You hear, you hear of Urban Meyer, which I don't know why people still want him, but, you know. And then, of course, you hear the one name, Deion Sanders. Now, there are two jobs in the country right now that really intrigue me and where I want to see who a coach goes to. It's Nebraska, and it's Auburn. Who do you think gets the Nebraska job, and who do you realistically think gets the Auburn job? Um, Nebraska is is kind of an anomaly because they're a a big, proud program with winning tradition, and they can have they got some money to spend. They've got good facilities, things like that. They're going to have to attract a blue collar type of coach. Uh, you know, like a Lance Leipold, like somebody like that the guy at Kansas, one of those guys who is a foundational building coach, because that's the only way that that Nebraska is going to be able to be turned around. You're not going to get uh, I don't believe a, a big name coach is going to get that job because that's not what is required right now. Somebody who is going to roll up their sleeves, go in there and set the groundwork Um you know, one of these one of these type guys that that uh, you know Matt Campbell maybe some somebody like that who is certainly a good coach but not a quote a list coach I would say so I look for somebody like that to uh, to get a job Gary Patterson would be a great I think addition to Nebraska I think he's one of those type of guys that could they could go up there and 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 shake some guys around Hank I think just said that too that's a good 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 uh, good take there but uh, as far as Auburn. Um, I have a theory on this one, and I'm, I'm going to kind of go with my buddy Zach, who uh, does the does the uh, podcast with me. Um, he says that James Franklin will leave Penn State and go to Auburn. Yes, he does have a contract there, but um, and then he thinks Matt Rule will take the Penn State job because Matt Rule has ties to Penn State, and that's his alma mater and all that stuff. 
Um, so that would be an interesting hire. I think James Franklin getting back into the SEC would be interesting. Um, Matt Rule could very easily take the Auburn job. Um, but yeah, those are those are the kind of names that uh, I would see, uh, you know, with Auburn because I don't know. I, I just I don't I don't see Deion Sanders. I don't see one of those type of guys taking that 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 SEC job uh, just yet. See, now here's the thing that. James Franklin one makes a lot of sense because what has James Franklin done at Penn State? Yep. Nothing, right? He has nothing to show for his time at Penn State outside maybe a Rose Bowl. That So that's an interesting one. I, I haven't thought about that one. That's pretty good. I do think if you're Auburn, you have to throw a bag at Deion Sanders, and here's why. Well, I think they've because already of, tried. Uh, well, the throw a bigger bag at him. At him yeah. Here's why. Deion Sanders – is going to attract talent wherever he goes. Yep. Hence why Travis Hunter is at his, his school right now, right? Yep. If he goes to Auburn, my God, Auburn's going to be a top 10 class in 2024. Hands down. Yep. He's but, going to be able to attract that much talent. And I think that is worth paying him in and of itself. And we've already seen what he's been able to do out down there at Jackson State. Yep. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, and I think Auburn really has to be able to go after him. It's not, but I think where Deion Sanders is going to land, and I've said this for as soon as the job opened up, um, I think he's going to land at Georgia Tech because of his ties to Atlanta. He'll be able to recruit that area. He knows that area. He played professional sports in, in Atlanta for the Falcons, for the Braves. Um, he he is an, he's, he's pretty much an Atlanta guy. Like he he those guys and that talent around Georgia, he would have he would have Kirby Smart, you know, shaking a little bit because, like you just said, he'd be able to recruit some talent out of the uh, out of the Southwest, and uh, and having a, a team like that, he could go into the ACC, be a contender, um, and and uh, you know there wouldn't be huge expectations put on him at Georgia Tech because they're already at the bottom of the barrel. The only way that 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 um, you know. Is is to go up from there, and I, I just I don't think that they are uh, they're they're wanting to win. You know, they're wanting to bring a guy in there and saying you have to win a national championship. I think it 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 it'd be a good Power Five job for him to start at. He'd be able to recruit, and uh, I think he could definitely contend with with the way he's been able to coach and recruit in in the ACC. I think that'd be a great uh, first big job for for Deion Sanders. That would be interesting. I'd be interested to see if he could take over the ACC. I do want to touch on Hank's point about Gary Patterson because I have talked about the potential move of Gary Patterson from Texas, which I would want. I, I want Gary Patterson to move on from Texas. Yeah. Because the longer he's there, the better that Texas defense is going to get. But it's always been my philosophy that defensive coaches are hard or defensive coordinators, really good ones at least, are really hard to come across. Either they don't leave the schools that they – are at or they don't get fired. And so I feel like it would be hard. It, like they have prime opportunity to be able to go in there and grab a defensive coordinator that you know is going to be able to give you a top 25 defense every single year. And then go out there and hire an offensive coordinator from somewhere. Go out there and pay, you know, $5 million for an offensive coordinator, which I know is outlandish to pay a coordinator that much. But if you really want to get on the right track in your series, just go do it. Why not yeah. go steal somebody's offensive coordinator? Or I've thrown this out there, and I and and I know people are going to just jump on this. You thought about hiring Urban Meyer, so you've opened this door. Why not try and give Art Bryles a second chance? So he's going to get it eventually, and 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 I know of his past and his history. You could put a lot of stipulations on this. You could, I mean, I mean, literally, like you could make it to where you get out of that really quickly, but. A Gary Patterson and Art Bryles team could turn that Nebraska program around really quickly. Now, yep. how is the recruiting and everything going to work with Bryles? I'm not sure, but it's it, 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 you you open the door with the Urban Meyer conversation. So I'm going to potentially bring that up: is hey, you could go do it, and it would and it and it would be successful. I think it could be successful. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, it, it's 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 just like uh, you know with with college football itself and and the way things shake out. You know, you seemingly think that all this stuff is going to happen. This team's going to win. That team's going to do this. This is going to happen here. 
but then you know you basically can set that plan on fire and and it go completely the other way so that's the beauty of college football and and you know no scenario i think is is impossible at this point and uh it'll be fun to see how all this coaching carousel stuff uh shakes out for sure yeah, I don't think I've heard anybody ever say this before, but I am definitely ready for the off season. I'm ready to see all of the recruiting things that are going to happen, and all and early of the signing portal. day is right around the corner too. So that's going to be that's going to be fun. So, I'm so excited! I'm so yeah, excited! No doubt. Okay, next game up that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the Pac-12 a little bit because the Pac-12 just keeps doing Pac-12 things and. It just makes no sense to me. It, 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 this makes no sense. They, it just seems like they don't want to get to the playoffs. So now your best hope is USC, which, to be honest with you, I'm not super confident in USC being able to win out here and go to the playoffs. Now, if they're sitting at 12-1, and one, the committee is going to have no problem at putting USC in the playoffs. But next week they have to go to UCLA, and then they have to end their season at home with Notre Dame. This was a really yeah. bad week for the Pac-12. I mean, all of the teams that you wanted to win and that they thought should win, Oregon and UCLA, they lost. UCLA lost to Oregon or uh, UCLA lost to Arizona, thirty-four to twenty-eight. Oregon lost to Washington, thirty-seven to thirty-four. What do you think about the Pac-12? Because I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm a little baffled that they continue to do this, do this to themselves. Yeah, I think, like you said, I think USC now is uh, is the only shot that uh, the Pac-12 has at, uh, at at getting into the playoffs, just because of the rest of their schedule and their resume uh, sets up sets up well. Because then they would uh, they would have played uh, you know some two really good teams, and then obviously a Pac-12 uh, championship if they if they got there. But then you'd be putting them against a uh, a, a one loss Tennessee, and then then that's another conversation. But uh, yeah, it's 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 the Pac-12 doing Pac-12 things, like you said, and uh, yeah, Oregon. Uh, you know, I knew we we talked about that game, and uh, it was uh, it was going to be a tight one. I thought it would, but I thought uh, you know Oregon's ability just how, you have two guys that rush for over a hundred yards in this game, and, and your defense seemingly just lets you down. That seems like a uh, you know. Uh, an, an, an OU recipe of years years past, um, you know, where you have a really good offense and, and, and your defense just can't get a stop to uh, to close the game out. But, uh, yeah, I just – I don't know if any any one of those teams, even if they got into the playoffs, could uh, could could line up. We saw Oregon at the beginning of the year uh, lose lose to Georgia. Um, but, yeah, it, it, regardless of, of what happens, um, I don't think a national championship uh, – is going to come out of the uh, Pac-12 uh, anytime soon. So, yeah. So let's look at USC because I think this is going to be an interesting topic over the next couple weeks, and I think something that a lot of people are going to be watching. And I know I got to watch myself to not talk about USC too much, or else people are going to be able to riot. But yeah, as long as you don't bring up the name associated with USC, I think you're good. So. Yeah, we won't bring up he who shall not be named. Uh, we'll give you yeah. all a Harry Potter reference there. Yeah, but I do want to bring up one guy for USC, and that is Caleb Williams. Because, I mean, my God, this man is just a bad dude. He is a bad dude. And I don't understand how he's not being talked about a little bit more in the Heisman race. But they beat the Colorado Buffaloes 55-17. to Now, the biggest headline in this game is they lose Travis Dye for the rest of the season. Huge. That's a huge, That's a huge loss. Yep, and this is time for Relic Brown, who was who was committed to Oklahoma, mm -hmm. to show us who he is and make his name known. Because again, we talked about it. You have two games left. You have to play UCLA, who is still going to be a top twenty-five team, and then you have to play Notre Dame, who is a top twenty-five team. Yep. I want to see what they look like about those games, and honestly, I think. USC probably splits it, but I could see a scenario where USC wins both of them and wins the Pac-12 championship and is sitting at 12-1, and one, looking at potentially a college football playoff berth. Where do you think USC potentially could finish the season? How do you think they're going to finish those next two games? Yeah, um, you, you bring up a good point, and I was going to bring that point up as well at the same time. But uh, 
you know, can their uh, backup running backs, can can they carry the load now? Because uh, Die is going to be out for the rest of the season. You know, can a guy like Relique Brown uh, step up? Um, it's not going to, it's not going to really matter too much. I don't think because they have the type of offense that can, that can get it done, um, and don't lean heavily on the run game. But as you get into bigger games, certainly if you make the playoffs, you're going to be able to be able to have to run the football. Um, but their offense right now, I don't think is the question mark. I think, and it seems like it's, 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 you know, almost the flip the script and it's almost like talking about Oklahoma, um, under Alex Grinch's, can they get enough stops on defense? Like I said, you know, I think they can win these last two games, certainly, you know, after looking at UCLA losing to to Arizona. But then again, it's the Pac-12. You never know what's really going to happen. Um, and then that Pac-12 championship is going to really be the, the telltale for USC and to see if they can really solidify themselves as a legitimate playoff team. Um you know, I think the jury's still out, but I certainly think they have enough talent. Um, I'm going to call it like I see it uh, to get to the playoffs, but but I don't think they can they can stack up, you know, against a, a, a Georgia or a Ohio State um, when they have to match up, or even a Michigan, um, a team like that uh, in the playoffs. I think they're going to get uh, they're going to get handled at the line of scrimmage and uh, uh, get exposed uh, in some areas. But I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, like I said. So uh, these last three weeks uh, will be uh, will be a really really interesting uh, um, path for uh, for USC. Yeah, and USC, listen, they're better on the defensive side of the ball than people really want to give them credit for. And sure. I know it's because they pay play in the Pac-12. But here's the deal: we talk about OU's tackle for losses and how great that is. USC has gotten to the quarterback 32 times this year. They've acquired 50 or uh, 15 interceptions, not 52 interceptions. Jeez, uh, that would be incredible. I mean, <laughs> this USC team, they cause havoc in the passing game. I mean, what do you – I mean, it, it, am I crazy to think that they could go 12-1 and one and end up in the playoffs? No, like I just said, I don't think it's a crazy theory to think or, or anything like that because of the, of the schedule they play – um, but at the same time, could they definitely lose one of these games or maybe a couple of them? Certainly. But, you know, you're talking about a Pac-12 conference who is really – or who's pretty good, but obviously not to the level of the SEC talent that you see week in and week out. And I think that's where they – and even the Big Ten and uh, credit to the Big 12 because I don't think the Big 12 is, is getting enough talk about how good – they play defense and how good just some teams are this year there. But, uh, I mean, USC certainly can make the playoffs for sure. But like I said earlier, you're going to have to debate USC and and Tennessee with, with each one loss there at the end of the year if if Tennessee can get it done because they won't be playing in, the, in a conference championship. And so you're going to have to weigh those two teams out. And certainly uh, what could happen between, uh, you know, a one loss Michigan or a one loss Ohio state because they play each other um, there as well with uh, uh, no one of those, whoever loses will not be able to, will not play in the big 10 championship. So then you've got another one loss team there that you're, you're going to have to debate if, you know, other things happen. Um, you know, Georgia stays undefeated, you know, stuff like that. So there's a lot to, that still can it play out uh, in these scenarios, but it's, uh, it's going to be fun to watch. And that's why I love college football. So. Yes. I want to move on to the next topic and we can cover this one really quickly. And that is the ACC. So the ACC had themselves another pretty good day. Yeah. They have now solidified what their ACC championship is going to look like. It's going to be the Clemson Tigers and the North Carolina Tar Heels. So you're going to have Drake May going up against a uh, a quarterback question to program in Clemson. I guess we can put it that way. <laughs> yeah. DJU is still the starting quarterback, which I get why uh, he wants Dabo wants to keep DJ as their quarterback, right? You know, he's led them to the winning streak that they're on, well, mm-hmm. or that they were on. They're nine and one sitting on the season. Listen, this is probably one of the more interesting ACC championship games that I'm going to potentially watch in a while. 
What do you think about the Clemson Tigers in North Carolina? You know, who do you think realistically is going to come out of that ACC championship game here in a couple of weeks? I'll be honest with you. If if if, if you're asking me who who I think is going to win the ACC, I'll, and and I had to pick right now, I'm picking the North Carolina Tar Heels, and I'm 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 hitching my wagon to uh, to the freshman Drake May. This dude is thrown for 3,412 yards. 34 touchdowns, three interceptions as a freshman. This kid threw out threw for 404, uh, 440 yards against Wake Forest. He continues to uh, to be impressive. He's going to find himself in New York. Uh, the kid's 6'4", 220, and and can and and can sling it. Man, the last you know several games he he has done his thing, and not only that, he almost has 600 yards rushing and five touchdowns. I don't know how he's not the front runner for the Heisman Trophy, but uh, you know, I think North Carolina with with the with the schedule that they have um, coming up, they can they can you know find themselves in the uh, obviously they're going to be in the ACC championship game, but um, the the remaining schedule for North Carolina is uh, you got Georgia Tech should be a win, uh, North Carolina State at home that's a good matchup that you'll have a rivalry. That, that you'll have there, and then certainly uh, Clemson uh, there in uh, in Charlotte. But, uh, man, I like the Tar Heels right now. I, I think they play in good complimentary football, and they're just kind of flying under the radar with still one loss. And uh, that's another uh, team that the committee is going to have to take a look at at the uh, at the end of the year, too, with, uh, with all these one-loss teams uh, vying for uh, seemingly that last spot in the uh, college football playoff. Yeah, they're going to screw North Carolina out of it. Let's just be honest yeah. here. I, I do agree. Drake May is playing that well. He could go be a Heisman finalist, but they're not going to give it to a freshman that's not at Alabama, OU, or uh, Ohio State. So, which is a, it's a it's a damn shame because that that kid is is deserving of uh, of it. And if he goes out here and and continues that that pace and 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 throwing for the yards that he does the last couple games because he's going he's going to have some big games here coming up and if he does it then then I think it's a it's an injustice um on uh on who's voting for the Heisman trophy so no it is strip them of their rights right let's talk about the game that everyone oh, here PG. wants to talk about <laughs> I'm going to do it to you I'm going to make you do it so I, I know a lot I was hoping we could go the whole episode without even talking about this. I just hey, erased it from my memory. But you know, yeah. we could go the whole time without talking about it because it seems like the chat's done a pretty good job about talking about yeah. um, Oklahoma. Yeah, I just tried and, to ignore that side of the screen. So yeah, you know, Listen yeah. Up. Let's let's rip the bandaid off. Let's let's do this. Let's start by saying this for anybody that wants to say that Brent Venables should be fired. He isn't a good coach. You can just go ahead and leave. You don't have to watch my videos because you are wrong. You are wrong. Okay? The deal is they had a 42% roster turnover. 42%. Not more than that. Well, you're talking about scholarship guys. They 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 had a lot of walk-on guys still here. So yeah. 42% of their scholarship guys transferred out. And then you had... Uh, a lot of new guys come in, whether it was through the transfer portal or in the recruiting class. We haven't seen a ton of the 2022 recruiting class yet, which is expected to not see a lot of true freshmen. Mm -hmm. Hold on. Let, let me let me get this here. Hank, I'm going to debunk your little theory here on the pre-transfer portal and everything like that. So if we didn't have the pre-transfer, if we didn't have the transfer portal, or if we didn't have the NIL, then those players that went to USC and got in the transfer portal would still be at Oklahoma, and Brent Venables would be able to use those guys, and, and it would be a, a far better uh, situation that Oklahoma be, would be left with. So that theory right there, it, it, it makes no sense to me because, you know, you just disproved your your own little logic there. So sorry I had to get off on that, but, that, yeah, it just it makes no sense. You're using that as, a, as an excuse for – for uh, roster turnover and everything like that, but you know, it, it, it yeah. So, if if there was no transfer portal and no NIL, then you know the cover cupboard would not would have not been so bare for uh, for Brent Venables and, and his staff in the first year. So, sorry about that. And 
here's the deal. OU fans are going to have to be okay with the cupboard being bare this year as well. Yep. Because here's the problem. When you watch what we watched and witnessed on Saturday, and you watch what we've witnessed this season and what OU has put out in losses, there are guys that have to go out of this program. I'm sorry. I, I've talked to a lot of the players. I love some of them. But – they are not guys that are disciplined enough to play in the system that Brent Venables and Jeff Lovey want to play. Am I wrong? Am, am I wrong with that statement, Drew? Uh, you're, you're not wrong, and and it, and it happens all over college football. So this is not an indictment on any any player at OU or anybody like that. It just sometimes it's just it's it's not the right fit for guys, whatever the case may be, and that's that's part of football. You know that happens at any level. You know whether it's kids playing pee wee football. Hey, mom. You know, I'm just not cut out to play football or whatever the case is, junior high, high school, all that stuff. And sometimes you have to, uh, you know, you have to go your separate ways. You have to go find a place that fits you. Um, you know, I think certainly we've seen that with Spencer Rattler. You know, obviously Caleb Williams may be a different story, but other guys moving on and and going to play at other programs and stuff like that. And you're going to have that that kind of uh, turnover and everything like that with, with the transfer portal and with the opportunity these guys have to go do that. And so I'm never going to – rip a kid or, or you're never going to find me on social media saying, Oh yeah, I'm glad you left or I'm going to no man. If it's in the best interest of you and your family and, and whatever the case is there, Hey, I wish you all the best. I'm still going to wear my crimson and cream and, and cheer, but I, I'm still going to be a fan of, of those guys who choose to go on to other programs. That's not a knock on them. That's not an indictment on them. That's just saying, Hey, maybe it wasn't a right fit for you, but uh, Hey, wish you all the best and, and go do your thing elsewhere. So yeah, certainly not a, you know, not opposed to that because that happens all over college football more than people think. So, and that's what people need to understand is I know people are freaking out and they're like, "Listen, fire Brent Venables." You have to be able to come in, and Brent Venables is going to change the culture of this program because I know people don't want to admit it, but OU had and still has a culture problem because the guy who we shall not name was letting players do whatever they wanted. He was a true, quote-unquote, player's coach because whatever they wanted, he let them do, and he gave them. And if you watched the trends of Oklahoma throughout the past couple of years, what did we start to see? OU end up in really tight games that they should not be in. And you started seeing them lose more games and keep trending down and down and down when they would go out of conference to play a big team. All of a sudden, they weren't as competitive as they had been, right? This was bound to happen. And yeah, I'm glad it happens in BB's first year instead of five years or three years down the line. Yeah. So we have to get this out of the way now, and you have to be able to get the guys in the program that do not need to be there any longer out of there, whether that means they need to graduate or they need to hit the transfer portal. There's going to be yeah. some real come-to-Jesus moments with a lot of these players once the end of the season hits. Well, and, and not so much that as I think a lot of these players are are, are maybe on them on their own deciding, hey, maybe this is not a, a, a spot or a situation that uh, best suits me. And and you know, having those conversations with their with their families, with their moms and dads and and, and certain like that, that's that's not a knock. Like I said earlier, it's not a knock on them. It's just it's understanding, hey, you know, I, I want to do what's best for my future. I want to do what's best for the program as a whole and for everybody. And that's just, that's showing a, a, a great deal of maturity when you can, you can really examine, step back and say, and evaluate, uh, you know, how the year went, you know, things like that. And, and for a lot of these young guys, I think they're going to have those conversations and they're going to think about, uh, Hey, do I push forward? Do I stay here? And, and, and do I believe in the system? Do I, uh, do I want to, uh, to play for coach Venables and this staff or, or do I want to try to, uh, you know, try to move on somewhere else. And so certainly, you know, with the with the, the pressure and, and with the uh, expectations that, that, that fall on these kids, I think it, it, I think it falls on deaf ears sometimes when, when you tell people that. They're just like, oh, no, they're quitters. They do, you know, whatever that is. And that's not the case at all. It's, it's, it's simply a, uh, you know, hey, is it, a, is it a right fit for me and, and, and my situation and what, what I see my future as? So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's probably going to be some guys that are that are going to leave, and you know, if if that's the case, uh, you know, wish them wish them the best. Yeah, and I want to talk about this comment that Mike put in the comments. 
Uh, I'm still shaking my head as to why opposing teams can pick up fourth and whatever on us. This is part of the culture problem that I'm speaking of because, and I've seen it all year this year, when OU gives up a big play after they played a good series or a good couple downs, right? Or the or team decides to play fourth down. I see very specific guys. We're not going to mention names, but I see guys on the team. I see them on the field. Almost give, you can see it in their body language, like this, oh my gosh, which is the exact same thing that was going on when Lincoln Riley was here. You said it. It's like a psychological problem. Like a guy that goes to shoot a free throw and can't shoot a free throw, and then no matter how much he works, he's got to get through the psychological block in his head that mm. he can hit the free throw. It's the same thing. When the oppo- if I was a, if I was an opposing coach, I'd do this every time to OU. I'd go out there and I'd line up every time on fourth down because yeah. I know that with a lot of those guys that were here in the Lincoln Riley area era that had problems on defense, you can get in their heads with this exact yeah. method right here. No, line up on I- fourth down, fourth and short, and run it every single time. Because sure. you'll probably convert it seventy percent of the time. Well, and that and that brings up another point. And Mike uh, just put up another another question. He asked uh, your take on the uh, yeah. Here we talked about this on our show earlier. The the whole gambit of officiating and refereeing across the country as a whole, it's becoming its own epidemic, if you will, and something needs to change. And these referees, these officials, need to be held accountable for stuff. They need to start getting suspended. They need to start getting fined. They need to start, you know, having their pay cut because that is just one of many absolutely ridiculous calls over the last couple of weeks and this whole year that that leaves you scratching your head because um, how in the world do you pick up a flag on a blatant targeting? You know, oh, that was dangerous. That, that was been. a dangerous play. Well, when, when they got together, the only discussion should have been, you know, was it a targeting? And that's the only thing they should have been reviewing. Which uh, I do think it was targeting. He was absolutely. a and, player. And not only that, but like Dallas Turner in the in the Ole Miss game, you know, coming off the ground after he sacks uh, Jackson Dart and then pushing his head back down in the ground and nobody doing anything about it. You know, you're trying to protect guys. You're trying to, you know, put safety in the game and, and putting an emphasis on that. But then you're going to sit here and let these type of plays uh, happen. Um, there's got to be some accountability for these officials across the board, and and well, some of these conferences and 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 uh, you know presidents and 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 uh, and people need to start uh, you know seriously holding uh, some of these officials accountable. And you said it; it's happened in other conferences, but this yep. is happening more consistently to Oklahoma and Texas. I want to point that out because this is not just an Oklahoma problem. This is no. happening to Texas in this conference too. And Brett Yormark and soft. Come on, yeah, buddy. Brett, Brett, <laughs> Brett, you know, Brett Yormark, you are the yep. new conference commissioner. Do something about it. Hey. Because I get it. Everybody's pissed off that OU and Texas are leaving and taking all of this money with them. But this is becoming a little ridiculous and it's becoming it, it's becoming obvious what's going on. I mean, I don't think anybody can deny it at this point. It's obvious the Big 12 is letting the refs be a little bit softer on the calls with OU in Texas in terms of calling stuff in their favor. Yeah. I'm mean, not a conspiracy theorist, but it's becoming obvious. It is, but I think it's more of a, a problem that needs to be addressed uh, across every single conference and across college football as a whole that, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you know, you need to get a hold of these some of these commissioners across the uh, across the country and the the NCAA um, need to need to really seriously look at this in the off season and uh, figure out a solution for this and and uh, maybe take some take some games away from some of these officials that are that are trying to make money. So, yeah. So, what is the? I can't even get it out because this game is just it frustrates me. Is there anything OU can take away from this game and realistically build on? Because I know Eric Gray has a 200-yard game, but we've known Eric Gray is good. I mean, is there anything that they can build on? You know, Eric Gray's Gray's favorite song right now is Lean On Me. So, um, and, and, uh, you know, we're going to have to do that. And I I don't think a lot of people, and this is the only thing I'm really going to say about Dylan Gabriel. Um, 
yeah, Marvin Mims missed a wide open throw or missed a wide open catch, drops, you know, whatever the case is. But but Dylan Gabriel missed some 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 throws and and um, not as accurate as, as as some people may think. Um, but uh, yeah, Jeff Lebby and and that offense is going to have to go back to the drawing board. And certainly, there's problems on defense. I just want to see us progress in, in these next two games. Um, more than anything, I want to win this week. Um, I think that would do a, a lot for our, our confidence and our morale as as Sooner fans uh, being the last home game and maybe the last time we'll play Oklahoma State in Norman. So uh, go out with a with, with a bang there and then uh, go try to win one at Texas Tech to, to build momentum going into the offseason. But, uh, yeah, I just I think it's it's back to the drawing board and, and I want to see you guys uh, going in there competing uh, and just and, and making progress these last two weeks. Here's what I want to see next week, and I know it's probably not realistic. And I want to get your thoughts on this. I want to see Ted's roof ass on the field next week and not in the effing booth because he does not need to be calling plays at this point. I want to see BV calling the majority of those defensive plays next week. And I want to see Ted Roof on the field coaching the linebackers. Yeah, I mean – at, at, at this point, you know, can't hurt. So, uh, you know, whatever they need to do, whatever adjustments they need to make this week. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, like I said, I think it just goes into, for, for me, just seeing the progress. And whatever that looks like, whatever BB and, 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 and the coaching staff figure out to, uh, you know, formulate some sort of a solution uh, these last two games, especially this week, I'd really love to see us play well and, and go in there and hammer Oklahoma State regardless of, if Spencer Sanders plays or not, um, I just I want to see us put it all together and have a uh, and have a uh, dominant performance. And why not uh, a game against uh, your hated in-state rival um, to to possibly finish up uh, Bedlam in Norman? Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of my my thoughts. Yeah, and you're right. It's going to be nice to, be able to go out there and get a win versus Oklahoma State. This coaching staff needs to be able to go out there and coach like their life depends on it in this game. Not because you need to get bowl eligible, but because of the just the huge recruiting weekend that this is. Like I can't fathom how important this recruiting weekend is. Yeah, you got you got guys like David Hicks and and other guys coming in town. It, it's it's huge for that. That's a great point. Yeah. Though. And and the 2024 class is huge. This is why I think BV needs to call place he needs to literally meet the recruits before and explain to all of them i want you to see what a defense looks like here in oklahoma when bates and i are playing our best when i'm calling it and bates and i are in sync because ted rook's not going to be calling the defense in this game i i want to see us come out and make a statement on the defensive side of the ball even if we don't replicate that against texas tech because it is very important that some of these 2024 recruits are able to see what BV is capable of. Here's the thing. These guys do not remember or have never seen BV at Oklahoma before. So they don't know about the great Oklahoma defenses that BV was putting out like what we know. So it is extremely vital and extremely important next week that they show out in all aspects of the game, in all aspects of the game. You leave everything out there on the field. You cannot lose to Oklahoma State 1 because – OU fans are just going to butcher you because we lost last year. And I I can't handle another year of having Oklahoma State fans be able to give it to me. But two, I, I just I, I think this is one of the biggest recruiting weekends that OU has on their schedule. You cannot lose to your rival with all the recruits that are going to be there. Yeah, and especially it being one of the last times that we uh we will play them for uh for a while. So yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. big, big week and you know, it's it's good to not have a uh, 11 a.m. kickoff too. So, uh, y'all, please show up, support support Oklahoma, support the Sooners. I'll be there. PG will be there. Um, you know, we'd love to see you. Try to get together and 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 chat a little bit. But uh, yeah, stay behind this team. You know, the sky is not falling, despite what everybody's thinking. Uh, BV and and this staff is going to get get things rolling and uh, may look a little different. May look uh different than than what we know but uh man you know sooner nation come out uh, and, and pack the palace and, and and let's go beat uh beat the pokes
Let's go beat them. If you guys haven't already, please go ahead, hit that like and subscribe button. It means a lot to me. Drew, tell them where they can find you. Hey, you can find me uh, on our YouTube channel, The Underofficial Review uh, Podcast. Just search that. You'll find it. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, my Twitter page, at uh, Coach underscore England one. Uh, follow me. I'll follow back. Uh, like us. Give us some subscribes. We're a new channel as well, too. We appreciate the feedback, the comments, everything like that. And, uh, yeah, give us a listen. All of our stuff is uh, on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, we love talking college football uh, any place, anytime. Uh, so, like always, um, thank you guys for, uh, for listening. And uh, thanks again, PG, for, uh, for having me on. Yeah, no, it's great having you. And I will link all of Drew's information down in the comments below. As he said it, OU fans, show out, be proud on Saturday. Let's show these recruits why they want to be here at Oklahoma. And let's go out there and get that win versus Oklahoma State. Because regardless of how it is, Oklahoma State doesn't want to play us. And that's why the rivalry is not continuing when we move into the SEC. They can easily move that FCS game off their schedule every single year and put Oklahoma in that slot. They just don't want to do it. But thank you guys for tuning in. Please hit the like and the subscribe button. Let me know what you guys are thinking about the show. Go ahead. Check me out on Apple, Google, or Spotify. This will be going up there as well. So if there's anything that you missed, you can go ahead and you can check it out there.